Welcome to Faith Life Church this morning. As you can see, Brother Moore is still not here. So he started out a series on judging. We're excited about it too. Yes, yes, yes. And then I taught last week on judging. And so this week, I want to continue on that, but maybe in a little different vein. I want to help you to see how not to judge. Because I don't even want to see a show of hands of how many failed on their homework this week. And actually wound up judging somebody. And how hard it actually was that when you walked out the door that the devil didn't just throw something at you to criticize or condemn or to judge somebody the minute you walked out the door. Because I know the devil. So this morning I want to talk about how we cannot judge people. How we have the ability to not have to do that. So are you ready? Well, I don't know if you can tell it or not, but I am so excited this morning about what I get to share. And I can hardly wait to get to the last page of my notes. So just hang on with me and be believing with me so maybe we can get there really quick, okay? And again, don't think you know this stuff because I think I'll share some things with you that you'll realize, well, maybe I, you know, anyway. All right, so um, let's turn, if you would, to John 3.1 in the King James. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Let me stop there and just interject this. Do you know if you're living for the Lord properly, you won't have to hunt people down. People will hunt you down. It's happened in my life. All, I mean, people that work for me, people you see on the street, people you do business with. If you're living right for the Lord and being the example you're supposed to be, you don't have to hunt people down to witness to them. They'll hunt you down. So the man, the same, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher that's come from God, for no man can do these miracles except thou doest, uh, except God be with him. I got distracted reading that because I thought somebody just thought we're not supposed to witness. You know you have thoughts going on in your head while you're doing other things. No, I didn't say you couldn't witness. I just said you didn't have to be a witness all the time, that you would be a witness by your example. Okay? All right. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the first way that you're able to combat the devil... In judging, that's just one thing that we're talking about, or lying, or stealing, or porn, or hating, or uh, being mean, or being full of lust, or being full of covetousness, or any of these things, the very first thing that you have to do is what? Be Be born again. That's the first thing. In order to overcome any of those areas, you have to be born again. You can fight it with your flesh. How many of you know your flesh is mean? Right. 
But the very first thing is you have to be born again. And it doesn't matter. You've all heard these things, but listen carefully. It doesn't matter how educated you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, how many times you've been to church, how many people you've hung around that knows the Bible. It doesn't matter any of those things. The only thing that matters is that you be born again. Do you understand that? Okay, let's keep reading. Another statement. Let me read you this statement. If a man is ever born again, he has to be born again by someone paying the penalty for his sins. Do you understand that? It has to be someone that paid a price for your sins. That's why all these other denominations that you hear about, did they pay a price for those people's sins? Did someone come and die for them and go to hell for them? That's the very best thing that you can help people with. Who paid the price for you? If somebody's questioning you about another denomination or, or something else, who went to hell for you? Who did that for you? You understand what I'm saying? If somebody's trying to convince you about a different religion or about something else, just look them square in the eye and say, huh, well, who went to hell for you? I'm clear on who went to hell for me. Are you clear on who went to hell for you? Okay. Jesus made these next statements in red. They're in your Bible in red. You don't have to look them up. I'm just going to read them real quickly so we can proceed on. I'm just trying to lay you a foundation here so you see where we're going. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That was one of them. That was John 3 we just read. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's John 3, 5. These are all in red. Except a man be converted and become as a little child, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's Matthew 18, 3. Except you repent... You shall all likewise perish. That's Luke 13. Now understand this. I grew up and went to church every weekend. Sometimes we went on Saturday night. Sometimes we went on Sunday. The new birth is not confirmation. It's not whatever religion that you are. It's not doing good deeds. It's not coming to church. It's not being real moral. It's not reading your Bible. It's not uh, saying nice things to people. It's not giving in the offering. It's not even, thank you, Lord, it's not even someone labeling you a saint. Do you know that? You could be saint such and such and still go to hell. Do you understand that? Being born again is about you having a personal relationship, confessing Jesus as your Lord, and then having a personal relationship with Him. Not through your husband, not through your pastor, not through your brother, not through your sister, but that you know, not through the priest. Because we used to think that you had to do your confessions through the priest. Anything that you needed to know, you'd go to the priest. Uh, you know, and, and now in our denomination, it's not necessarily the priest, but people want to go to the prophet to get the answers. But did you know in the New Testament, that's unscriptural for people to just go to the prophet to get answers? 
in the New Testament, we're supposed to just go our direct line to the Lord. We don't have to seek answers through prophets. We don't have to seek answers through men, through priests. We don't have to seek answers through anyone. And if some prophet has prophesied to you that you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that and it didn't line up with the Word and it didn't line up with what you had inside of you, you need to throw it in the trash. Because people's lives have been totally ruined by people's so-called prophets and prophetesses saying things to them that was no more God than I'm a brain surgeon. And I ain't no brain surgeon. (laughs) But you understand that. Being born again gives you the right just to talk directly to your father. And you don't need anybody in between you and him. Not the prophet, not the priest, not anybody. You understand that, right? If any prophet or anybody ever gave you anything that was good in your life, it's because they got it from God. And you know you can just step right around that person and go to God directly for yourself? Brother Hagin used to say it like this. Now, I've gotten off on this, and it's not in my notes at all. But evidently, we need to hear it. Brother Hagin used to tell us, sometimes when people get prophesied to, it's been because the Lord's been trying to tell them himself year after year after year after year after year, and they wouldn't listen to him. So he had to slap them around a little bit and say, get this, get this, get this. Trying to save them. He used to tell us that all the time. How many of you ever heard him say that? It's a fact. He used to say it all the time. So anyway, those are statements of Jesus. But the new birth, being born again, has major benefits. And that's some of the things that I want to get into this morning. The Amplified says in Romans 6, 4, and 5, We were buried. Anybody in here buried? You don't look like you're in a grave. (laughs) Buried, therefore, with him by baptism. Say, we were buried by baptism. baptism. Into death. death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so too we, it says habitually, but I think, Continually would be a word that we would understand better. So too we continually will live and behave in the newness of life. So when you were baptized, your old man died and your new man is who you should be. For, verse 5, if we have become one with him, we have become one with him by sharing a death like this. For we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life for God. That's one of our benefits. The old man died and the new man's living. I'm going to get into that with a lot more detail in just a few minutes and I think you'll understand it better. But another benefit we have, and I'm not going to get into all of them, is Galatians 3.13. How many of you already know what that says? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for, cur- for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise 
of the Spirit through faith. faith. Through faith. Everything we do has to be through faith. Your new birth had to be through faith. Your baptism had to be through faith. Your receiving the uh, blessing of Abraham has to be through faith. faith. Ephesians 1.18. I'm going somewhere. Y'all going with me? Yes. Okay. Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe or to us who are in faith? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. We're raised from the dead. And he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities. Far above all powers, far above all might, far above all dominion, and far above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put, has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, like Brother Hagin said, did you wear your shouting clothes today? Because if you don't shout over this next part, your wood is wet. <laughs> Ephesians 2.5 Even when we, or even when I, was dead in sins, he quickened me together with Christ. And he has raised me up. Say that with me. He has raised me up together and made me sit together with him in heavenly places. Not only did he do it, but he raised you up to sit with him in heaven. So every time the devil tries to tell you you're no good, you're nobody, you're nothing, you can't do nothing, all you have to do is remind him who we are. Who we are. I'm seated with Christ. Yes. Where are you, Mr. Devil? Yes. And remind him that you're up here with God and he's down there where? Under your feet. Yes. Now, if that don't excite you, again... You're either asleep or half dead. Because you can beat the devil every single time. Just with that one verse. It isn't just Jesus that died and went to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Your spirit man is seated at the right hand of the Father with him so that you can overcome anything that the devil throws at you because he is under your feet. Under, you say he's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Far above all principalities. And so verse 7. In the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's keep it going. When we're born again, we take on a whole different nature. Do you know why an unborn again or unsaved person can't get into heaven? Because he has a different spirit, a different nature inside of him. He has the nature of his father, the devil. When you're born again, you receive a different nature. You receive the nature of your father, God. And that's the determining factor as to what gets you in heaven. It's because your spirit man changes from being in that nature to being in this nature. Do you understand that? First John 1 John 1.9 says this. And the thing about it is, when we are born again, everything in our life is new. Everybody remember when they were born again? What did you feel like? You felt like you were clean. Do you know you can feel that way every single day? You can feel like you were born again, again and again and again and again, if you'll just do 1 John 1.9. Again and again and again and again. Let's read it. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all unright standing with God. Spiritual death is separation from God. You ever had a fight with your husband? You ever had a fight with your best friend? Raise your hand. Best friend, husband, you ever had a fight with somebody? What does it feel like? It feels like there's a wall or something separating you from them. Feels like there's a divider there. Something is there. That's what it is. The same thing as spiritual death. When people's spirits die, there's a separation between them and God. Or even when you're sinning and stuff like that, you're not lost and going to hell, but you're separated from your fellowship with Him. You feel that separation. Have you ever hid something from your spouse? We'll see how quiet it got. You don't have to shake your head. But you feel condemned. You feel separated. Do you understand that? It's the same thing as you feeling condemned or separated from the Lord. You never want that separation between you and the Father. You never want there to be any distance between you and Him. You want to be just as close as Mike and Cher are sitting here today. You want to be up against Him all the time. You don't want to be as far apart, say, as Cher and Peggy are. You don't want anything or anybody in between you. You want to be this close to the Lord all the time. So that's why he gave us 1 John 1, 9. So that even if you had been born again when you were 12 years old, there's a lot of years between 12 and how old are you? 76 next week. So there's a lot of years between you if you got saved at 12 and 76 years old. You could have missed it once or twice between then and there. What do you think? 
And you could have missed it by the time you got saved when you were 12 and the next week when you were 12. And that's why God gave us 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we'll confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the NIV says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means you put bleach on it. That means you took the chalkboard and you erased it away. That means it does not exist anymore. It's non-existent. It disappeared. Do you understand that? He does not remember him them. And if you go to the Lord and you repent and you say, Lord, I'm sorry I missed it again on that one thing. He says, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Like, okay, I'll tell you about me. You want me to tell you about me? An area that I've missed it in a lot of times, the new area, I'll put it that way, that I've missed it in a lot of times, is Keith has asked me a bazillion times, and a bazillion is a big number, a bazillion times when he's in conversation with me, just because my phone dings doesn't mean I have to look at it. But it's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. It's kind of like a habit, like a smoker. I know my dad smoked for probably 50 years. He started smoking when he was 8 years old because he had 11 or 12 brothers and sisters and, and they were all smoking and stuff. And so he started smoking when he was older. And he didn't quit till he was in his late 50s. And so for years after he quit smoking, we'd see him. And he'd be going like this <laughs> to reach in his pocket for a cigarette. Well, that's what it is, has been... It's not going to be in my future, but has been about me and cell phones. It's like when that ding goes off, it's like you react before you realize it. And you just do it. So I have repented, but I've done it again. And so I've repented again, and I've done it again. And I've gone to the Lord, and I've said, Lord, forgive me again for that. For what? Because if I truly repented, yes, yes. he yes. doesn't remember it anymore. Oh, thank you. No matter how bad it was, no matter how big it was, no matter how little it was, if you truly confess your sins, he's washed them away. They're out of his memory. And that's how we're supposed to forgive other people too. Uh-oh. And that's how we're supposed to forgive other people too. It doesn't matter how bad they mistreated you. If they mistreated you really bad and you say, I forgive you, what happens then? It's erased from your memory. You don't remember it anymore. I don't care if they had 12 affairs, but they repented and they got it right and they're not doing it. Repent means no change. It doesn't mean you go out and do it again tomorrow. You forgive them. You don't remember it anymore and hold it over their head. Or that they picked up their cell phone again. Thank God my husband is forgiving. I know it irritates him. It has to. Because how disrespectful is it that he's telling me something important and he goes, ding. Don't judge me. You forget the topic we're on in here this morning? Okay. Second Corinthians 5 says this. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You may have some wrinkles on your face. Don't look. You may be, your body may be looking older. There may be some gray hair up there. There may be some signs of aging. But this inward man on the inside is new. It's new. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes and decays and loses hair and gets gray and gets wrinkles... The inward man is renewed day by day. Your inward man should be getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Your inward man should never get worn out or tired. If you're feeding him. And your inward man... The spirit of a man can sustain the outward part of a man, Proverbs says. The inward part of a man can sustain the outward part of a man in bodily injury or harm. So if your inward man is nice and big and strong, it can help your physical body get over anything. Anything. So when we're born again, it's not our outward man that's saved. It's our inward man. Did anybody, I'll take a poll. Did anybody's outward man change the day they got saved? Did you lose all your gray hair? Did you lose any freckles? Did your nose get prettier? Did your eye color change? But you're brand new. You're brand new. Did your hair color change? I wish mine would have changed permanently (laughs) and stayed the way it was when I was a child. But did anything on the outside of you change? No. No. So we have to know for him saying this, he's not a liar. Something became new. What was that? What became new? What became different? Something about you became brand new. And it wasn't that body. Because <laughs> we still weighed exactly the same thing we did before we were saved. It's the man on the inside that was born again, that became new. His nature on the inside is a new man. He has a different heart about him. He has the heart and mind of God. He has the love of God now in him. And things that you felt before, you don't feel then. Now, some of us, and I'm going to tell you my experience here in just a few minutes, but, but some people, when they get born again, it's a major deal. And other people, when they get born again, they don't apply themselves to the Word, so you don't really see any change in their life. 
But other people, when they get born again, they immediately begin to apply the word in their lives. And you see change in their outward man because they begin to apply the word to their outward man. But if you get saved and you don't apply the word to your outward man, there won't appear to have been any change in your life. You will look exactly the same inside and out if you don't begin to renew yourself. And let's look at some scriptures on that. Romans 8, verse 14. When you became born again, you immediately... Let me put it this way. When a girl walks down the aisle, she is a part of one family. Is that correct? Her name is one thing. But when she gets up here and she stands at the front and she says, I do, what happens to her? Her name changes and she becomes a part of another family. Is that right? Think about that as you think about this. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself, or I prefer to say himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, Have you ever seen a child that was adopted when it was first born? When it's first born and it goes into a family, it takes on the traits of that family. It never knew any different. It doesn't matter if it was a different nationality. It doesn't matter if it was from a different culture. It doesn't matter anything. It never knew any of the other stuff. Do you understand that? But if you get a child, and the Lord just reminded me of something, if you get a child that's a little bit older, and they were raised in a totally different culture, and they didn't know anything about this culture, they didn't know anything about your family, what do they have to do to fit in? Where's Liberty? And children's. How old was she when you guys adopted her? Five and a half. That's not very old. But I remember when they adopted Liberty. It was the most precious thing you have ever seen. She could not speak one word of English, could she? All of us were trying to communicate with her in kids. Do y'all remember it? Everybody was trying to... And she was so in fear in the beginning. She was so reserved. She was so quiet. She was so in fear. She's not that little introverted little girl anymore. She's full of life. She's established in her place. She knows that's her mother and father. She's secure in that place. She speaks English better than you probably. (laughs) Because she was adopted into this family. She took on that family's characteristics, the way they do things, the way they eat, the way they go, what they do. She don't get to eat the foods that she ate before she came here. She eats totally different now. She eats the same foods they eat. Yes. 
She goes to the same restaurants they go to. She sleeps in the same house they sleep in. Her whole life is totally different. Do you understand that? Maybe you were older when you got born again. What had to happen to her? She had to start watching them. And she'd watch her brothers. They weren't much older than her then. And whatever they did, she did. When they ate, she ate. When they got up and got ready for school, she got up and got ready for school. She watched I watched her. She followed them around everywhere they went. And she learned their characteristics. She learned the way that they do things. That's what we have to do with the Father. We have to put ourselves completely out of this old family. And the further you can get from that old family, the quicker you're going to change. If they would have taken her back every other week and let her stay with her old family one week or the old home one week, and with her, what, with them one week, would she have changed as fast? Absolutely not. She wouldn't have learned English as fast. Because she'd have been trying to speak that and saying, oh, well, no big deal. But no, she had to get immersed completely. If she wanted to talk with anybody, if she wanted to converse with anybody, if she wanted to eat anything, she had to eat what they ate. Maybe she'd never even seen it before. And that's the way it is with God. We need to totally break free from our old life. And the further we can get from it and immerse ourselves into our new life, the easier it'll be on us. Instead of hanging on to a few things from our old life, we just rip the cord away. Like a girl when she's getting married, she ain't living in mama's house no more. And if she's got any smarts, she won't go back there every day for a little bit and ask mama what she thinks. Because she ain't pleasing mama no more. She's supposed to be pleasing that husband. Do you understand? It's a new life. We are adopted into a different family. We have a different father. And we need to learn how that father does things. We need to learn how this father does things. She couldn't continue to do things the way somebody else did them. Or she'd have never made it here. We cannot continue to do things the way we did them before. We have to do things the way our father does them. Because now we're adopted. We should break the bonds of that old stuff. Get away from it. Now your flesh ain't going to like it one bit. And I know when we first saw her, she wanted to go back. She was not happy in the beginning. She was a sad little cookie. She loved them, but she was sad. She felt out of place. And when you first get adopted, you feel out of place. It's uncomfortable. You don't know nothing. You don't know how to do this. You don't know what you're supposed to eat in the Bible. Do you understand that? You don't know how you're supposed to talk. But the more you hang around it, the easier it gets and the better it gets. And the more you get to know him, the easier your words come out right. And the more you eat, 
the more you get fed, the more you grow. Yes. And the more comfortable you get. Yes. Do you understand that? Yes. Say this. God, God is my father. I am adopted into a new family. Now, does that bear witness with your heart? Do you understand it? We are not part of the devil's family anymore. He can't run over us anymore. People ask me all the time, you know, foster kids are adopted kids before they're adopted. They're in foster homes. They're in fear. Have you ever seen them? You ever been around any of them? They are, we've ministered to some of them. And they are in just total fear. And the biggest thing about those kids is they feel like no one loves them. They feel like they're alone in this world. They feel like they've got nothing to live for because nobody cares about them. But do you know, the minute that you get saved, all of that is gone. Because that love that the Father had is just poured into you. And he's not like a natural father. He's got enough love to go around and everybody feel that love exactly the same. And he don't have favorites, even though I like to pretend like he does. (laughs) He's going to pour his love into you every day, all the time. And he'll change you. People ask me all the time, Mrs. Moore, aren't you afraid to stay by yourself when you came down here for months and started doing this church? You were by yourself for a while. Aren't you afraid when Brother Moore leaves? Don't you get hear all those little noise? Never in my wildest dreams have I been afraid. Because I know this. I've got this humongous angel on this side and this other humongous. He says, you need a gun. I said, I don't need no gun. I've got some of the biggest angels you'll ever want to see, and there ain't nobody messing with me. Amen. They fall dead. They out of fear themselves when they see these angels that standing behind me. I have no fear of that. Because I am very aware of whose child I am. I'm not confused about that. I know I am God's child. I have been adopted into his family. Nobody could ever take that from me. I'm not confused about it. Read this verse with me. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Do you know, while you're turning to that, the Lord told me something last week and while, or week before, whenever it was, I was with Keith. And I said, I want to ask you something, if this seems right to you. I said, because when I woke up this morning, this is what the Lord told me. And I think it'll bear witness with you. Kids grow up. And they have a father. Supposed to have a father. That's the way God intended it. That kids grow up and they have their father in their life. And while they're growing up, how many Catholics do I have in here? Former Catholics. Yeah, I, you know I was one. Don't be ashamed of it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. They have some things that we don't have, you know. So, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. But when we came a certain age in the Catholic Church, we were supposed to do what was called our confirmation. Now, what that meant was your parents are no longer responsible for you and your spiritual condition. 
You are of old enough age now to where you are responsible for your spiritual condition. You've got to start going to the confessionals yourself and take care of what you did in your own life that week. Your parents can't repent for you anymore. They're not in charge of what's happening in your life anymore. You're old enough to take that commitment for yourself. Do you understand that? Understand that, right? Well, I don't know why this came to me this way. But the Lord showed me this in preparing for this. Children are supposed to grow up with their father. Asking them, leaning on them. What are we supposed to do? Daddy, should I do this? Daddy, should I do that? Daddy, what do you think about this? Daddy, how should we do this? Daddy, is this right? Daddy, is this wrong? Daddy, should I, can I go there? Daddy, can I go here? Daddy, can I do this? Do you understand that? Then when they come to the age in their life that they should be saved or on their own and talking to the Lord for themselves, that should just roll over to our Heavenly Father. Yeah. There should never be a time in our life ever that we don't have a father and that we're not doing the very same thing, but just with a different father. Do you understand that? You shouldn't get up and go somewhere. Father, what do you think about this? Father, should I give this or should I do that? But you're not asking your natural father anymore. You're now asking your heavenly father. Does that make sense to you? I think that's the way God intended for things to be. He set it up that way to where we would never be without guidance in our lives. But what happens is people get to a certain age in their life and they they get away from their natural father, but they don't go to their heavenly father and their lives get messed up. And they get off course. But we should never be a moment in our lives that we don't go from one father to the other father. Make sense? If you're not doing it, do it. Take advantage of that. That's one of the benefits of being born again. That you can just go to your father and ask him anything you want to ask him. And he'll tell you. He'll tell you. So, 1 Peter 2.2. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. That's what we were talking about earlier. In order that your inward man will grow, you got to get some word in you. That's where we find out the nature of the father. That's where we find out what he's like. That's where we find out what he does like. Okay, let me ask you a question. Say you're going to make lemonade. All right? You take a lemon, you take a big pitcher, say, regular size pitcher, and you're going to make lemonade. And you take a lemon, and you drop one drop of lemon juice into that water. Is that lemonade? It contains lemon and water. It contains them both. What if you put five drops? What if you put 10 drops? No. It takes a lot of lemon to convert a pitcher of water into lemonade. Does it not? What if you read one scripture? 
That's kind of like one drop into a pitcher of water. Has your insides changed? What if you read two scriptures? Do you think your insides has changed and they're going to stay changed? Absolutely not. What if you read three scriptures or four scriptures? You've got to renew your mind with the word. It's new. It's brand new. But if you want to keep it brand new, you got to feed it. you got to give it something to grow on. And the word is what we feed it to grow on. That verse said that we just read, you are of God. Let's read it again. First John 4, 4, so you'll know what I'm talking about. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't think I read that, actually. First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children. Say, I'm a little child. And have overcome them. Did you know even little kids can overcome the devil? Yes. Spiritually? You can be a little kid just born again five minutes and you can overcome the devil. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. First off, we need to recognize we are of God. So say that with me. I I am am born of God. I am his child. Say it with me. I am God's child. He is my father. How many of you in here are fathers? Big part of you. Now, do you have children that when they ask you for something, it's a joy to do something for them? Absolutely. And that's the way our Heavenly Father is. When we ask Him for stuff, it's a joy for Him to be able to do those things for us. And you needn't wonder if your Heavenly Father is going to follow through on His deal of being your Father and is going to meet your needs. You needn't wonder if you wake up tomorrow and you're going to have food. Does your natural Father provide you with food? Does your natural father provide you with clothes? Amen. Does your natural father provide you with all the things that you need? Yes. Did he when you were growing up? Yes. There's a few that haven't, but overall, isn't that part of the job of a natural father? Yes. Well, your heavenly father is going to so far above and beyond do what our natural fathers did. Yes. Because he is a good father. And he's going to definitely do his part. The God in you is greater than anything that the devil can do to you. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than poverty. He's greater than pain. He's greater than depression. He's greater than all these things. He's greater than you judging. Okay, so we talked about the lemonade for just a minute. Say you've got things in your life that are habits that you don't like. And you say, I have been born again, Mrs. Moore. You're talking about being born again. But I'm still doing those very same things over and over and over again. You have the greater one inside of you. But let me tell you another illustration that may help you. Say you have a balloon and you blow it up just a little bitty bit. Maybe it makes a balloon this big. And that's inside of you. 
Is it really going to push anything out of you? Do you understand what I'm saying? But say you get a balloon and say, say your heart is your inner man, say here, and you blow that balloon up massive size. Do you know two things can't stay in the same space? They can't. Good and bad can't stay in exactly the same place. If we turned off all the lights in here right now, it would be dark. Light and darkness can't stay in the same space. So if you put a balloon in there and you just blow it up a little, well, then you've got a lot of space for the devil still to play. But if you take that balloon and you blow it up and you fill it with the word and you blow it up and you fill it with some more word and you blow it up and you fill it with some more word and you blow it up so big on the inside of you, there's no space for the devil to get in there. Your spirit is so in control of what you're doing that it just pushes out anything that, you know, what happens when you get a balloon tight? Stuff just bounces off of it. Do you understand that? You ever seen a tight balloon? What happens to it? Ping, 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 ping. Stuff just bounces off of it. Oh, it's so good. That's how we need to be. But what about a little balloon that's died? (laughs) Shriveled. What happens to it? It just, you can, everything sticks in it. You can squeeze it with your fingers. It don't pop. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how a lot of people's spirits are. It's kind of like Play-Doh. It's kind of like the devil's in there going, Do you understand what I'm saying? He's able to mold you and make you do anything he wants you to do on your insides because you ain't got that balloon tight enough. You tighten up that balloon on the inside of you big enough to where the spirit is greater on the inside of you than everything that he tries to attack you with is just going to go boing, 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 boing. Any fiery dart he throws is out of there. It just bounces right off. We're a new creature, but we have to feed ourselves. And that balloon's going to lose air. So fill it up again if you're being attacked. Fill it up again. All right. Say this with me. I know I'm making you say some things, but I want you to get it in you this morning. God is my Father. Father. And the greater one one lives inside of me. me. Say it again. God is my Father. Father. And the greater one one lives lives inside of me. Now, the greater one can only help you as much as you let him, depending on how big your balloon is. It's time for us as a church, body of Christ, body of believers, to become more God inside minded. It's time for us to remember that God lives inside of us. Do you think, you know, the other Sunday, Keith was talking about Ananias and Sapphira and how they had lied to them there in the service and that they just dropped dead. They were more concerned about what people thought than they were about what God thought. Yes, they were. Do you see that? And I tell the youth that all the time. They're so concerned that mom and daddy's going to find out about what they did. But there's someone more important than mom and daddy. 
And pastors sometimes, more they're concerned that their congregation is going to find out that they did this. There's somebody way more important than your congregation. Spouses are concerned that their spouse is going to find out what they did. There's somebody way more important than your spouse. Because on the day of judgment, we're not going to answer to our spouse. We're going to answer to him. And he sees and knows all. Matter of fact, he's living right there inside of you. So you needn't think you can hide from him. Because anywhere you go, guess what? Uh Uh-oh, he's there. Uh, He's there. Uh, I'm here, he's there. Do you understand that? You go into a X-rated movie, yeah, hey, he's there. You go into a, a porn place, uh-oh, he's there. Uh, you turn off all the lights in the house to look at something you shouldn't be looking at, guess what? He's there. Yeah. And he's seeing what you're doing. Maybe your wife or your husband is sound asleep in the other room. That don't matter. The one that does matter that you're going to need tomorrow, he knows. Because he he's in you. Yeah. The greater one is in you. You're not fighting flesh and blood. You're fighting the devil. Okay. I told you I was going to tell you a story, and so I'm going to tell it. I want to tell you this story about when I got filled with the Spirit. It's very pertinent here. Keith and I hadn't been married long. And um, he lived right next door to a Pentecostal church. And while his senior year in high school, the Lord really started dealing with him. I think he'd look back on it now and say that's probably when God really, really started calling him was his senior year in high school. He did a book report on the book of Job. (laughs) Tell me that's not God dealing with somebody. (laughs) And we got married two days out of high school. We've been together since we've been 13 years old. And we ain't getting a divorce. We ain't looking to get a divorce. That's just the devil telling people there's a better way. And there's not a better way. Grass ain't greener on the other side. You're going to have the same problems you left that marriage with. You're going to take them with you. (laughs) So anyway, when I married him, I hadn't told a lot of this part of the story. I've not told most of the parts of this story. Keith's told little bits and pieces of the story. But I'm, I'm going to try and tell you as best as I can recall all of it. My mom has gone on to heaven. But my mom says when you're born a Catholic, you'll die a Catholic. She was Catholic to the bone. But now, well, I'll get to that in a minute. And when I met Keith, he was going to a church that on one Sunday... A church of, uh, church of God pastor would speak. And on the next Sunday, a Baptist pastor would speak. <laughs> Same congregation. Same congregation. But then on Sunday nights, he'd go to the Oneness Pentecostal church. Because that's where his grandmother and grandfather took him to church when he was a little boy. So he had a little bit of everything. So my mother, Keith and I, like I said, dated from the time we were 13. 
So the Christmas of my senior year, Keith gave me an engagement ring, which is a normal Southern thing to do. They get married young. Yeah, how many of y'all know that? You know, so it's not a big, wasn't a big deal. My mother pitched a fit. I mean, it was not happening. No way, no how, not happening. So the big reason was religious differences. And I didn't know it till later. She liked Keith, but she didn't like the religious stuff. Because there had been someone in our family that had married someone from the Oneness Pentecostal Church, and he told her she wasn't going to have to change, she wasn't going to have to do certain things. And the night that they got married, they got home, and he threw out all of her makeup and all of her jewelry and, and all of her clothes and all these things. And my mother was in total fear that that was going to happen to me. And I had already been approved to go to nursing school the next year, and she could see me doing this and doing that and doing this, and, and it just burst her bubble. Well, two days out of high school, Keith and I got married. Yes, we ran off. We tried three times. We finally got married. I wore blue jeans and a uh, midriff showing tank top. <laughs> and we still got married. The police chased us, pulled us over. One of our guys on our board told him they're trying to get married. He said, you better go home. But he told him anyway. Anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> Most people would have said you wouldn't stay married. But we did. It was God, you know, that we were together. And... Um, so it was in, well into our first year, Keith started going to the Pentecostal church every Sunday night. You've heard him tell the story. He'd go, and he'd go to the altar, and he'd pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Because that was why he was going to the Pentecostal church. Because he knew he needed the Holy Spirit. And the Baptist and the Church of God church didn't believe in that. So he knew he needed that because I had gotten a hold of some tapes that kind of taught on that from Brother Copeland and Brother Savell, and that's a whole other story. But we had been kind of listening to that, so he knew he needed that. So we'd go every Sunday night. Now, mind you, we both have to be at work the next morning. He has to be at work at 6.30 in the morning, and I have to be at work at 8 in the morning. But every Sunday night, we would start. The service would be over at 10. If you know anything about those churches, they go long. Okay? 10 is when the altar call was given, so that's when it would start. You got it? 2 in the morning. We're still there. Every Sunday night. This got old to me. This was week after week after week after week after week after month after month after month. And I didn't know, I had no clue what he was even wanting. I was Catholic. I had just come from the Catholic Church into the Oneness Pentecostal Church, into the Baptist Church, into the Church of God Church. <laughs> you talk about somebody being confused, it was me. And those are all, and the thing I look back on now is I see all the wonderful things each one had to offer. Good points in each and every one of them. But I got frustrated one night. And so I went 
the altar is here. It was a little bitty church. I, they probably had 100 people there. There's a little wood altar here, probably about the same color as that podium. It had the bench on the top, just wood, and two little things that hold it up underneath it. And then they had one on that side. The men would all come to this side to pray, and the women would all come to this side to pray. Well, Keith, every time, would wind up on the end of this little altar thing, knelt down praying. I can see it just as clear as it was yesterday, because it happened so many times. So this one night, I said, I got to do something. And I said, Lord, I'm going up there. And I went up there, and I prayed this. I remember it. Lord, if there's anything that I am doing or that I am not doing that is keeping Keith from getting whatever this thing is he wants, <laughs> I'm sorry. Help me to know I'll do whatever it takes. I'll change. I'll fix it. I give my life to you so that we can get this fixed. And I was standing there, and about that time, the, whole, the anointing, the Holy Spirit of the Lord struck me so hard that I went down. I don't even remember. I knew that the Lord struck me, but I, Keith says later, I went down and hit the back of my head so hard on the front wood pew. It's an old church, front wood pew. He thought I had cracked my head open. And I laid there for I don't even know how long. You'd have to ask him how long. So I don't even want to tell you because I don't know. But for a long time. But I do know this. When I woke up, he was still praying. <laughs> and hours had passed. But when I woke up, everybody in the church was around me and saying, She got saved! She got saved! She got saved! It's time to get her baptized! <laughs> That's what they believed. They believed that if you got saved, it was very important that you be baptized then. And you know what? I see great merit in it. And I don't know if it's because that's the way it worked for me. But because it goes together so well. And let me explain to you before I get back to my story. You remember Philip and the eunuch. They were going along. And the eunuch didn't understand what he was reading. And Philip got up there with him and explained it to him. And the first thing the eunuch said is, um, is there some water around here? What's preventing me from being baptized now? And he got baptized. And even Jesus, even Jesus told John, you got to baptize me. And John said, oh, no, not me, not me. Basically, I'm not worthy to baptize you. He said, but you have to. For all the things to be fulfilled like they're supposed to be fulfilled. You need to be baptized. So anyway, here I was. The whole church is around me and they're telling me I need to be baptized. Well, I have on my dress, my hose, my heels. And it's probably 28 degrees outside. And raining. 
And I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so everybody, repeat that word with me. Everybody. Everybody in that church, as late as it was, it was past midnight. And everybody had to get up and go to work the next day. Everybody in that church loaded up in their cars and they went to, I think, the muddiest pond that they could find. <laughs> and there was a steep bank and it kind of kind of went down kind of almost like the steps, but it was just a slick bank. I remember it to this day, halfway down it, it had a root that went across it that if it wouldn't have been there, I would have just slid right down like a slide <laughs> going down it. Because remember this. I had my dress and hose on. All I had done was taken off my shoes. And the minister went out into the water about this deep. I can see him out there. He was a tall guy. And I got out there. But before I went out there, we got into the car with this couple. And all they told me the whole way there is believe that when you come up out of the water, you'll begin speaking in tongues. If they said it once, they said it 25 times. And it wasn't but a 5-10 minute ride. Believe that when you start coming up, you'll be speaking in tongues. Believe that when you start coming up, you'll be speaking in tongues. Did I bring my iPad out here? I forgot about that. Let me see if I kept on that part because I read something and I didn't see that until yesterday. Put on the screen NIV Matthew 3:16. I was so surprised when I read this yesterday. As soon as Jesus was baptized and he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Do you see that? They kept telling me, the minute that you go up, believe that you'll be speaking in tongues. I remember, I was Catholic. I was a part of a Baptist church. I was a part of a Church of God church, and I knew nothing about this stuff. All I know is by that time, I'd already been baptized twice and nothing happened. Do you understand that? Yeah. I had been baptized Catholic. With the, actually, now that I think about it, I had been baptized three times. Because Catholic, I wasn't really counting as baptism because they do that when you're born. Okay? So they sprinkle you when you're born. I was counting baptisms the other way. I was baptized in the Church of God church. I was baptized in the Baptist church. And now I'm going to be baptized in the Pentecostal church. So the third time. So anyway, there I was. And I took a step off. We got there to the pond. Everybody's gathered around the pond. They're singing hymns and stuff. And I'm just looking at Keith and I'm kind of scared. But I just kept thinking. When I come up out of the water, and I kept saying it under my breath, when I come up out of the water, I'm going to be speaking in tongues. When I come up out of the water, I'm going to be speaking in tongues. When I come up out of the water, I'm going to be speaking in tongues. What happens when you go down in the water? You're a dead sinner. You're an old sinner. 
All your sins are going down with you in the water. When you start your motion upward, what is it? You're clean. You're brand new. You're a new creature in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. new. Behold, all things have become new. new. The moment, I can remember it to this day, the moment I went down, the uh, minister was holding my nose, I went down, and I started, I mean, it couldn't have been one split second, I started the upward motion. I started speaking in tongues as hard and fast as you've ever seen anybody do it and flailing like a whale in the water. (laughs) And it was at that moment I got the first word from the Lord that I've ever received. At that moment. You want to know what it was? I thought it would be some glorious revelation about how great God was and how wonderful it was. I'm glad Keith's not here. (laughs) Submit to your husband. Now, I had never heard God's voice in my life, but I knew from that moment I was a different person. From the moment I started coming up out of the water, my insides were different. My thinking was different. My body was different. I felt like if I would have looked in the mirror, I'd have been a totally different person. I'm telling you, I was so changed at that moment. I didn't care what anybody thought. I didn't care what anybody said. I don't remember hardly one thing after that. I remember we went back to our little 1969 Marriott mobile home to change because some people had, even though we had to work the next day, had invited us back over to their house for a snack then (laughs) because they were so excited. Because in that church, people tarried. They didn't get filled. And when somebody got filled, it was a glorious event. And so I was standing in front of my closet changing. And Keith says, what did the Lord tell you? And I acted really dumb. But I didn't tell him what he told me. Not for days. Not for days. But I knew he had told me. And... For days after that, I didn't care where I was. I didn't care if I ate. I didn't care if I slept. I didn't care if I breathed. I didn't care what was going on. I just had this bubbling joy and happiness and thanksgiving and love and peace and it felt like my body was still on the earth but my whole being was at another place and I stayed that way for days and everybody that I would come in contact with I would tell them how wonderful God was and how much he loved them I preached to Keith, I preached to his mom, I preached to the cat, I preached to everything I came in contact with. 
And I did this for days. Days and days. And I didn't care. You could have asked me to give up anything under the whole world, the earth, anything. You could have showed me that it said it in this book. And I would have done it. No questions asked. And I've been that way ever since. Ever since. Because something inside me changed. Something inside me has never been the same. A love for God and a love for people. People ask me all the time, how do you remember to do things for other people? Why do you enjoy... Uh, Amy's sitting right over there. Amy, do I constantly send birthday cards and gifts? And that's um, one of your main jobs, isn't it? Because you love people. And you love making people happy. It just grabbed hold to my insides. So you never want to do anything to hurt them because you just love them. And when you love people, you don't want to judge them. You don't want to say anything bad about them. You love them. Brother Hagin used to say it all the time. I don't know how they do that. They need another dip. He said, I'm not talking about a dip of skull. He's talking about another dip in the water. I went on like that for days and days and days and days. And Keith would come to me because he's still begging the Lord for the Holy Ghost. He was. And he'd say, Phil, you need to pray for us. So I'd get in, in the bedroom and kneel down beside the bed and I'd pray. But then the problem came. I quit reading as much as I should. And I quit getting in the Word as much as I should. And I quit praying as much as I should. And what happens? You lose that joy. You lose that excitement. You lose that part of your inside that's so excited about God. But do you know what? It doesn't take much to stir it back up again. The Lord told me this morning to do something. And I want to do it just exactly the way He told me to do it. Sometimes, and I don't want this to seem weird, but sometimes when I wake up, I just see things that's supposed to happen. And it's happened lots of times, and, and I don't usually say anything about it, but I'm going to this morning. Sometimes I just tell Keith. And, um, but um, this morning, I saw this happening, and I called the guys, and I said, I would like to do this. And they said, Mrs. Moore, that's just basically impossible. And I said, no, it's not. And so we're ready for it. I know, like I told you, I was baptized three times of my own free will. Not as a baby when you're sprinkled, but of my own free will. But I know of only one time that I was baptized in faith. Do you understand that? That I was baptized in faith, expecting something to happen. Expecting to go down an old sinner and up a new creature. 
expecting my old life to be washed away and my new life to start. Only one time. The minister that baptized me, he was an amazing man. The minute I got filled, he was more excited, I think, than I was. And I was excited. You couldn't tie me down. He was shouting there in the water. And it was such a miraculous thing that that 28 degree temperature outside, that water felt like I'd stepped into a warm bathtub. And I remember it so vividly today, that feeling on the inside. That's why I told you when I walked in here thinking about this again, it just stirred me up again. And that joy that you have on the inside and that anticipation and that excitement for doing everything you can for the Lord. And that excitement of the devil not being able to steamroller over your life. You have a power and a greater one living inside of you. And you can know that better than you know your name. If he would have asked me my name the day after I was baptized, I don't know if I could have told him. But if he would have said, are you a child of God? I would have said, yes, God, hallelujah, I love him, I love him. He's so good to me. Because that's what happened to me. A newness in my heart. A real life inside of me for the things of God. And I want that for everybody. You've heard me say it. I don't want me to have anything that you don't got. (laughs) Do you understand that? I heard a song played. And most of you probably heard it. I'm going to have us play it. And there's a part in the song that says this. Let me read it to you. And you may recognize it when I say these words. Now I'm singing all along to amazing grace. Can't nobody wipe the smile off my face. I got joy in my heart and angels on my side. Thank God Almighty I saw the light. Gonna look ahead. No turning back. Like every day, give it all that I have, trusting in somebody bigger than me ever since that day that I believed. What I want us to do here today is I'm going to pray here in a few minutes for everybody, and everybody can say it together, basically about being born again. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe unto righteousness and with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. So let's do that right now. Say, Father, Father, I believe believe in your son, Jesus. I believe believe he is raised from the dead. dead. I believe believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I thank you that I'm saved. Glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.